Welcome, dear listeners, to The Gateway, your portal to the unexplained, the mystical, and the otherworldly. I'm your host, C.L. Thomas, broadcasting live from the United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM, New Orleans. In the next hour, we'll traverse around to the paranormal and explore the enigmatic world of spirit communication. Now, I've officially kicked out my cat and my dog from my office so that you guys will have my undivided attention for the next at least 40 minutes. My guest tonight is legendary stuntman actor, paranormal investigator, author of Ghosts Believe in Me, and friend Rick McCallum. Let's get Rick on the show. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> There's that little pause there. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I've, I've done a lot of investigating the last couple of weeks. I've been to Joshua Tree Inn. I've been to the um, Goldfield Hotel, which is really interesting. It's been good. How have you been doing? Well, not that good. <laughs> you're doing you're doing pretty good on those investigations. Um, I don't know if anybody watching knows that uh, the place I'm sitting right here, actually the entire ceiling collapsed with me inside of it. And I had to move out for a month. So I went to Scotland and went ghost hunting all over Scotland while they rebuilt my apartment. So now, sitting here. Did you have to move? Or are, you, are you still in the same place or did you have to move? No, I'm in the same place. They just rebuilt it. So I think I, I, I was watching some of the saga from online. I was watching all this stuff. That was terrible. That's when that um, tornado came in and all that rain happened. It flooded well, a lot around. Was, they, uh, well, they said it was a hurricane, but we've had a lot worse rainstorms than that was. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't even have noticed. It was just the building was is old and the. But boy, it was close. And and you know what's funny. I really, really think that somebody shoved me out of the way because it just missed me. And, and I was filming it at the time. And you can see me go before, you know, through the camera, before it falls. And then the whole ceiling goes. So I think something shoved me out of the way, keeping an eye out for old Rick. Well, it, it just gives you an excuse to go to Scotland, right? Yeah, like I need an excuse. I go there all the time. I'm in Scotland more than I am in the United States, I think. So to kick this hour off, I realize this might even take the entire hour, but how do you go from stuntman into being a paranormal investigator? Uh, it's just the opposite. I started off ghost hunting and went into stunts. So I started ghost hunting when I was 13, which is if you look, that's wasn't last week, <laughs> right? So uh, I've been doing it for over 50 years. And, uh, um, you know, I think I'm probably the oldest, have the most experienced ghost hunting of anybody because this would be, let's say, my 57th year <laughs> doing it. That's a long, I think that might be longer than I've been alive. Actually. Well, 57 years? I know you're not 57 years old. Come on, CL. You're not even half that. Well, you were around for Hans Holzer and all those guys. Or is that before you? I think they were about the same time, but I didn't I wasn't aware of them, you know, because there weren't the shows and everything else. I mean, when I started, there was no equipment. You know, Except you just went out there and said, I saw a ghost, and then everybody went, No, you didn't, and went, you know, see, well, yes, I did too. So well, now what, what, led you, what led you down this path at age well, 13, nonetheless? What happened? Well, well it was kind of, I kind of got drawn into it. Um, my grandfather had gotten killed in a uh, gun cleaning accident. He was a security guard. And uh, we lived in the south side of Chicago, and he wanted to be buried in Paducah, Kentucky. So my mom didn't have a lot of money. My grandfather didn't have any. So we went by train. We put the casket on the train, and we went to Kentucky on the train. And because this all happened so suddenly, we didn't have a chance to get a hotel, nothing. So when we got there, first first surprise was I found out that my uh, grandfather, Joe Kelly, was actually not Irish. He was actually 100% from Sparta, which made him Spartan, uh, like the movie. And his real name uh, was like the king, actually. His first name was Leonidas Boholius. 
And the only reason we knew that is because the guy that was waiting at the casket turned out to be his brother, George Vaholius, and he told us the whole story. So all this time we thought he was Irish. And he used that name because he came over with an Irish family. So that, that kind of surprised us. But uh, my mother and I started walking down the street to find a hotel and wasn't the best part of town. And we seen this old brownstone with a flickering neon light. I mean, it looked like psycho should be hiding in there, right? So we went in there and my mother asked, she said, uh, do you have any rooms? He goes, we got one left. And he goes, and I have to tell you, it's haunted. Right now, me, I wasn't very close to my grandfather. I was like, yes, 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 yes. I was all excited. Um, and it, it was like practically free because it was such a dump. But we went in there and the uh, floor, it was like a rectangle. It was like it was like a volleyball court. It was made out of wood, right? And there was a bed on each side on rollers. And they're about 20 feet apart. And we went in and we were tired. We had a long day, a lot of emotion and everything else. So uh, we laid down and fell asleep. And I all of a sudden, I hear my mother scream. So, I mean, I, I sit up in bed all ready to you know, use my whole 13-year-old little self to fight off whatever's in there. And then I realized that my bed is flying across the room towards her. And the two beds went, bam, in the middle of the room. And we just looked at each other like, right? And then my mother goes, I think that guy downstairs is right. <laughs> so that's that's what got us started. And we tried to debunk it. This is before anybody even heard the word debunk, right? Um, we tried rolling glasses to see if the floor was warped. You know, maybe a truck went by and made him shake. That, that wasn't it. I got behind, went over to the wall, and I put the, the uh, bed back, and I shoved it as hard as I could, and it went three feet. And these things both went at least 10 feet to smash into each other. And they didn't go dink. I mean, they went bam. So something really strong moved them thing. So after that, I was I was hooked. I was like, oh, hey, oh boy. Yeah. So you've done you've worked in a lot of movies too. Um, what are some of the movies you were featured in? Oh gosh, I've I've done about seventy five different uh, projects. Um, one of them that it's a horror movie that I have probably my best part in is called Hatchet Two, because. Uh, I play, I actually have a part and I play one of the hunters looking for Victor Crowley, who is like Jason, right? He's out in the swamp and he's, he kills everything that comes in there. And uh, Kane Hodder, who's my best friend, and he's also in the Hollywood Ghost Hunters, you know, he and I started it. Um, he actually chainsaws me in half in the movie, but not sideways. He goes between my legs, lifts me and another guy off the ground and saws us both in half and we go, boop. So uh, they, they say that's one of the best kills in horror movie history. So that's uh, a lot of people know me from that one. Good that, I mean, it's a pretty interesting scene. But, I mean, I've done movies with uh, Chuck Norris, Clint Eastwood, um, did some Naked Gun movies. You know, I've done, done quite a bit of stuff. I've actually done uh, stunt coordinated the Walking Dead webisode that won the Streamy Award. Um, you know, stuff like that. So I, I've been... Did a lot of stuff, actually. So Hollywood likes to believe that some of these, the filming of some of these haunted movies, um, they say that some of them themselves are haunted. Have you ever experienced that? Like movie sets being haunted or anything like that? Well, People not so much, but I have gone ghost hunting at one of the studios when we were filming and it was haunted. And it was so funny because there was a, a security guard and one of the guys on the set came up. And, and the only person that would go ghost hunting with me was the uh, makeup girl, right? And uh, she was the toughest one on the whole crew. We're, we're down there. We actually saw a big black shape go down at the end. The K2 meter was responding to everything I was asking. And these guys came up. And one guy goes, what are you doing? I said, we're ghost hunting. And he goes, oh, I don't believe no ghosts. I'm afraid. Of and he's just being super macho, right? And he goes, what's that thing in your hand? I said, well. We heard somebody talking before, and I said, we just saw a big shape down at the other end. I said, this goes off if more energy comes in it. More than likely a ghost, you know, because I already went through and there wasn't anything that would make it go off. And he goes, oh, really? And, and it goes, all five lights right then. 
And I went, well, yeah. And all I heard was the two guys running down the stairs. They turned around, ran away, and ran down the stairs. I actually have it on 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 video. You can't see them running, but you can hear them going, "Damn!" <laughs> down the stairs. So that that was pretty cool. But that was at a uh, at a movie studio, which they will not allow me to say which one it was. But, I was just uh, going to ask you that. I was just yeah, going to ask you. I could say so it was kind of accidental, but it's that's not exactly the name. Um, <laughs> so, and a little clue you know, for anybody that knows that kind of stuff. Hmm. Your book is titled Ghosts Believe in Me Instead of I Believe in Ghosts. What do you mean by that? Well, first off, it sounds really arrogant, doesn't it? <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they believe in me. But I was on a show like this, and the very first question, I was going to be on for two hours. The very first question the guy said in a very snarky manner, he goes, you don't really believe in ghosts, do you? And I was like, okay, you want to fill two hours with nothing. I didn't say anything. I just looked at him. I said, no, I don't. And you can just see the look on his face like, <laughs> what are we going to talk about now? I said, no, I don't have to. Ghosts believe in me. And I got so much feedback on it. You know, they said that was so cool that I decided to name the book that. But that book went really well. It, it won the uh, Paranormal Book of the Year Award in 2020 when it came out. And I've written another one since then called The, the Spirits Are Out There and They're Waiting for You. You. You, CL. <laughs> they're waiting for you. They're waiting for me, huh? <laughs> Just you. You're the only one they're waiting for. The, the book is, you know, it is kind of strange, though, when you go into these haunted places and... Um, the spirit, like you either have dreams about these places before you actually go to them or they'll say your name while you're at these locations. So it does kind of feel like that sometimes. Oh, I get my name called almost every place I go. People make fun of me because of it. And they, they were asking me, why do they always ask, say your name? I said, what do I do the first thing when I come in? They said, what? I said, I always walk in. I go, hi, everybody. My name is Rick. And then I explain the equipment that I have. And I tell them, you know, I have a voice recorder. If you have want a message for somebody, you know, all you have to do is say it and I'll get it to them. So later on, we'll hear Rick, 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 you know. <laughs> and then they said, why do you call your name? I said, because I introduced myself. Did you? <laughs> they don't know your name. They know mine. I told them what it was. So I get that all the time. You know, it's really weird. Um, just this past weekend at the Goldfield Hotel, um, I go by CL, but the spirit box said um, my real name, Crystal, which is and it, nobody had said that name while we were in the building anywhere. So it's it, it's kind of weird. It's yeah, really it's really weird. cool. There, there was uh, a place called uh, Torwood Castle that I went to, and I, I have an Android phone, and you know I'll reach my hand up high over stuff and I'll go shoot, and the phone the you know, I'll get the picture. Shoot. And then I was with Ryan O'Neill, who's on the TV show Haunted Scotland, you know, because he's also a member of uh, Scottish Paranormal. Matter of fact, he's mm -hmm. the founder of him and Gregor. And Gregor was with us. And we're listening back to the uh, audio. And it goes, shoot, Rick. <laughs> right? Which I've been saying shoot all day. And he goes, shoot, Rick. So that was pretty cool. The book is full of personal stories with the paranormal. Um, what was the case that you would say really hit home with you in the way you approached the spirit side of the paranormal? Has any well, one case just completely changed you? Yeah, it does, actually. When, when you really start believing that there's a, a, another side. You know, there's a lot of ghost hunters go trying to get evidence and stuff like that, but they don't really have the belief that there's really something there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I do. I mean, because I've had way too much stuff happen. Um, I mean, I've had so many in the book. You can see there's so many different, really important things that happen. Um, but there's a place here that uh, I used to be with a thing called Dark Zone uh, TV. And we would go and uh, go to the LAPD Museum and, and hold events. And I was one of the you know lead investigators. And uh the first day I was there, they were they had had two days of shooting before I got there, and I came in for the for the wrap up. And they had good people. They had uh, Brandon Brandon Alvis, Kristen Lumen, Susan Slaughter. You know, they had a pretty good lineup of uh, investigators. And I was coming in for the final day, and 
I was sitting at the front door looking out. I was at a reception desk because they were all filming and I was staying out of the way. And I heard somebody walking down the hall, real heavy boots, right? So, I mean, right in front of me is nothing but glass doors. I mean, I can see right outside and I'm watching and I hear the boots go by, but there's no person going with the boot sound. I was like, so when Jay came up, I said, Jay, I haven't even been in there and already had something paranormal happen. He said, what? And I told him, he goes, wait, you got to tell Misha. Misha was the girl that ran the place. And as soon as I told her what happened, she goes, see, Jay, I told you. And he says, yeah, she says he hears, she hears this guy every day. I said, well, I did too. Turns out that we think he was a motorcycle cop who got killed named Walter. And for some reason, me and Walter became buddies. Uh, we would... It, it was so strange. There was one time um, we had this one thing going on and uh, Melissa St. Hilaire was there. She's a psychic, a really, really good one. And I come walking into the room and there's two K2 meters about 10 feet apart, or, you know, on the, on the table. And I set mine down. So like every five feet, there's a K2 meter. Right. And she goes, yeah, we just got, uh, somebody said his name was Arthur. I said, probably wasn't Arthur. And they said, no. And I said, it was probably Walter. Right. And they said, really? And I said, hey, Walter, are you here? And all three K2 meters went off, all five lights at the same time. And everybody's like, whoa. And I said, so you are here, Walter. And he goes, they all go off again. I said, yeah, me and Walter, we've, you know, ghost hunted here a lot. So me and Walter are buds, you know. So it, it's kind of weird when you can get one that you're that interactive with, you know. So what happened so I guess I'm curious about when you do establish a relationship with a particular spirit in a location, how does that, how does that actually, I mean, do you, got, do you carry this person with you eternally? Um, do you try to help this person? Is it more about just listening to them? Well, he seems quite happy being in the LAPD museum, right? I don't, I don't do things like try and release people or anything like that. That's not my deal, Right. Um, I figure that, you know, from what I've seen of the other side, if they really want to go away, they can do it, you know, so I'm not going to try and run them mm -hmm. off. You know, they're, they're still in that spot for a reason. You know, they, they either have unfinished business, they're afraid to take that walk down the tunnel. You know, it's just, um, mm -hmm. it could be waiting for a loved one, which nobody but me ever says, you know, um, to go with, you know, so, um, it's really interesting does when it, you really, uh, you know, connect to them, you know. Does it almost become like a, a counseling session with these spirits? Oh, yeah. You know, because you, you, you come to realize that they've, um, it just happened to me this a couple of weeks ago, actually, in another haunted location where I connected with a spirit there and we had so many similarities. I don't, it's very strange, you know, it, it becomes almost like, like you're counseling them, but at the same time, they're counseling you too in some way. Well, just by them talking to you or communicating with you, they're counseling you. I mean, they're, they're giving you a look into another place that most people don't get to see. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's fascinating. You know, I don't know why everybody is in the, you know, into the paranormal. I'm glad yeah. they're not. It makes a lot easier to get into buildings without everybody crowding them up and bumping into each other, you know. <laughs> You would think um, a lot more religions would be into the paranormal. That, that's always a big one that I thought was kind of strange where some churches and all that, they don't even want to discuss anything paranormal, even though the whole idea of religion is about afterlife. Yeah, exactly. I will tell you, because uh, uh, you said this, I had for probably five years a woman's voice calling my name about 20 feet behind me. And I turn around and say, who's calling me? Who's calling me? I never get an answer, right? So I asked this one guy, Lee Dunn, over in Scotland, who's a very famous uh, psychic. I said, can you tell me who this is? And he calls me the next day. And he says, look, he says, I had a dream. He says, that's usually where I get my stuff. He says, this very pretty blonde girl dressed in Western clothes came over and sat down on the bench with me and uh, she's very religious. She's from the South and she passed away from cancer. And that was this girl that I knew that I'd gone out with, you know, was a friend of mine, uh, Jade, who had been a model and she always dressed in Western stuff, very religious. And I said, okay. 
And he says, uh, and she's the one that's calling you. And I said, is she trying to tell me something? And she goes, yes. She, she says, you know, he told me, he says, you guys have had discussions about this a lot, right? Because she was so religious. She's like, I don't know about this, right? But then she's, she said, he says, the message is she wanted to tell you there is an afterlife. So that was, that was really cool. And then another girl named Heather, who's a, the most phenomenal. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Having. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. And for some reason, hey what? Rick, are you there? Yeah, I'm sitting here. Here I am. You just cut out for some reason. Sorry about that. There I am. <laughs> um, this 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 girl Heather told me she goes, uh, "There's a girl here that wants to talk to you. Her name's Jenny." And I said, "I, I don't know any Jenny." She goes, "Well, she's a pretty blonde girl from the south." And I was like, "Well, that, her name's Jade." Right. And I said, and I went, wait a minute, Jade, because she was a model. That was her modeling name. Her real name was Jeannie. And I went, oh, it's Jeannie. Right. She goes, yeah, that, okay, that's it. And uh, it was weird that she was able to hone in on the same girl. I mean, in a matter of like one week. So, you know, and that's the girl who told me there was an afterlife and there she is again. <laughs> so when you heard that, how did that make your life different, if at all? Well, well, knowing that somebody that I know actually was trying to give me a message for quite a long time. And it got to the point that other people were hearing the name, my name getting called too. I, I, you might know Didi Jabrail. She has a podcast. Mm -hmm. She was at this thing where I was a guest speaker. And as I started to walk away behind me, her Rick, and I turned around and the other people turned around. I said, and I had just said it. I said, and I keep having people call, you know, I hear a girl's voice. And these three people all went, well, we heard it too. So it wasn't like I was had an imagination or something. I had a guy in the grocery store. I, I heard it behind me and I turned around and I looked and I looked back at the guy who's making my sandwich and he goes, I heard it too. So, <laughs> so Jade was being pretty persistent. <laughs> Bless her heart. Well, when you were in Scotland, were you there for just, was it just for fun or was this, um, were you filming over there? You no, I've never, I've never filmed over there. Um, no, I go there just to ghost hunt. I mean, That's I it. Get, you just go over there and spend weeks ghost hunting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, almost every night I'm doing something. I mean, I'm in castles. You know, I'm in houses. You know, I'm out in out next to Roslyn Chapel in the, in the graveyards at night. You know, I actually uh, believe that I saved two girls from – something really bad happening to him by me going into a graveyard one night because the, this was in Edinburgh. And when you walked into this graveyard, you had to walk upstairs because the ground was higher. And as I walked upstairs, I saw two girls about 30 yards ahead of me. Now, this is late at night. And as I, my head just started to come up over the stairway so I could see the ground and everything, I saw a guy to my right get up off the ground and start stalking the two girls. So I just walked along parallel to him in the dark. And when he started to get closer, I just went, hey, what are you doing? And he just stopped. He turned around and went back to the corner. And I told the girls, I said, girls, might be a good time to leave. And they said, you're right. Oh, this was a real guy, right? This wasn't it, a ghost. This was a real, real guy. guy, yeah. But uh, I think he had real evil intentions the way he was sneaking up on him. You know, wow. of course, I, you know, 
I know a lot of girls that could probably punch his lights out too, though. So they better be careful about that kind of stuff. <laughs> so how many investigations have you done with Leap Castle? Of what, what just, what just, oh, at Lep Castle, you mean? Yes. Lep, it might yeah, pronounce it wrong. I've only, I've only been there one time and it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I mean, really? uh, oh yeah, something attached to me. Uh, I felt like I got shot through the eye with a with a arrow. My eye went, oh, I mean, and I, it almost knocked me out. I was staggering across the street. Uh, the guys from Scottish Paranormal put me in the car. I was standing outside because it was windy and it felt good. And we were a little early to get into the castle. So when we pulled up in front of the thing, I was in my car. It's actually the last story in my book. And I'm sitting in the car in the in the passenger seat, which is on this side and not on that side because we were, you know, in, in Ireland. And uh, I just had no energy. I was just like a big wet rag. And my eye was still just pouring water. And I'm like, oh. So I said, guys, go in and ghost hunt. I said, I'll be all right out here. I'll come in, you know, when I feel better. So I'm still sitting there and I'm looking and my vision goes, mm -hmm. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good, <laughs> right? And then remember the old movies when they went with the iris and it went, mm -hmm, and everything <laughs> collapsed? My vision did that. And then at the same time from here down, now you've been on an airplane. You know the airplane toilets, when you flush them, they go, Woof. Yeah. That's what happened in my energy. It went, Woof, right out of me. And I'm just sitting there like, I mean, I'm nothing. I'm just laying there and I'm like, this is it. I mean, I, I knew for sure that I was going to die in a few minutes. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I know it sounds, you know, really grandiose and all that, but it's exactly what happened. And I was just sitting there and, and I don't know why, but I just said, you know, I've got to see a lot of stuff I never thought I would. I got to do a lot of things other people don't get to do. Today's my day. I'm okay. So you really it. thought you were going to die. No, I knew I was dying. There's no doubt. I mean, I got very peaceful, you know, and I just thought, okay, if this is it, this is it. Right. And uh, after I said that a couple minutes later, I felt my energy coming back and my vision started to clear. And after about another five minutes, I was like, I feel good. Right. My eye ain't watering anymore. I feel I got energy. So we went in and we did the whole ghost hunting and, uh, and the Scottish paranormal guys had actually went into the Lord of the thing and asked, you know, to get an ambulance because they thought I was dying. So it wasn't me. Everybody thought I was. But uh, it, it was so funny. I mean, they asked, they came out, they said, Rick, we really thought you were dying. We, we didn't know what you were, what we would do if you died. And I said, really? Ghost hunt the hell out of me. What are you thinking? <laughs> you know, when are you going to get another chance like this? But uh, yeah, that, but there is one more thing. Um, we had been at the Hellfire Club earlier. And one of the guys from Scottish Paranormal sent me a message saying, you're not going to believe this. Two guys at the Hellfire Club had had a duel and one got shot through the right eye and died. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that guy attached himself to me and he was trying to show me what happened to him. And what I really sincerely think is when I said what I said that he went, Oh no, 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 no. Too much, too much, too much. And backed off. But uh, yeah, that's the scariest thing that's ever happened to me, but it was kind of surprising me because I wasn't afraid at all. I was, it was very peaceful. You know, you're thinking, okay, well, hope I'm going to the right spot. Go <laughs> yes. So you know, was, in, the, in your book though, you said that you, you said a spirit reached out to you even before you stepped foot on the grounds there? Well, that was that was what um, I think Ryan or Gregor did that. I said that on the back of the book. Um, mm -hmm. And that was because of me getting walloped out, out in front, the water coming out of my eyes. And we weren't even inside the place. We we're out in front. So that's when he said, you know, a spirit made itself known to me, even though we weren't even there. And that boy, did it ever. Was so, there any connection between the Hell's Fire Caves and Lep Castle at all? Not not other than the fact that a lot of the same people went back and forth between them. You know, like yeah. uh, the Hellfire Club was a bunch of uh, high muckety mucks, you know, uh, 
all the political and, you know, the real rich people and stuff. And that's where they had as much debauchery as they could have. And one of the uh, reasons I went with them to the Hellfire Club is because one of my relatives was actually a member of the Hellfire Club uh, named John Wilkes. And John Wilkes was actually the Lord Mayor of London, and he'd been in Parliament. But he was a real rascal. I mean, he was after the king. I mean, everybody was running him out of the place. And um, he went into the Hellfire Club with all these rich, famous political people. And he dressed a uh, baboon up like Satan and turned it loose into the club. And scared the hell out of everybody. The one that I've read, and believe it or not, this is really who it was supposed to be, the Earl of Sandwich. Right? That's where the, the word sandwich came from because he, they were making him food, so they called it the sandwich. But uh, he got scared, and he pushed two hookers towards the thing and said, they're bigger sinners than me. Take them. And he became a big laughing stock. So he made it a point, and his friends made it a point, to run John Wilkes out of politics, out of England and everything else. And he actually put up a lot of money for the Revolutionary War, and, and him and another guy both did. And uh, he's a, they actually named after a town after him in Pennsylvania called Wilkes Bear, Pennsylvania. That was the two guys that were helping out the Revolutionary War. But to get to the heart of the matter, um, there were two people using the, uh, the Franks box. And I, they weren't getting anything. I said, do you mind if I try? And they said, no, go ahead. And I said, hi, my name is Rick. See, do it all the time. <laughs> right? I said, my name is Rick. I said, I have a relative that was a member here, John Wilkes, and I just wanted to say hi. And it goes, relative? And I went, and their eyes get big, the two people, because they weren't getting anything. They said, yeah, I'm your relative, and I just wanted to say hi. And it goes, hi, Rick. And I mean, they freak out, right? And I said, here's I'm going to figure out if this is really my relative. Did you really dress a baboon up like Satan and let him loose in the thing? Because I would have done that myself. And it said a couple of words, and then it goes, baboon. And I mean, now they're really freaked out. And I looked over, I said, oh, man, what a great piece of tape. And they go, oh, we're not recording. And I was like, oh, the best piece of stuff you could ever get. And they weren't recording it. So, but there's a couple of people that do talk about it in the book, you know, where they heard it and everything else. So matter of fact, in that book, I did something that I haven't seen in other books, um, when there was somebody else there, I let them tell their version of, of the story along with mine. So, you know, because if you're writing a book, I can write anything I want. It's my book, right? Mm -hmm. I can say I'm really handsome and girls like me, you know, and everybody go, right? But uh, the whole thing was, it, it's just so strange. You know, the whole, the whole deal about it was just goofy, right? Do you think that you had some kind of ancestral um, hold? Oh, yeah. I, I happen to know that I'm uh, related to the uh, the uh, King Malcolm II of Scotland. So, I mean, there's a lot of Scotland, a lot of relatives of mine that were kind of famous in Scotland. One was, a, was possibly the best swordsman that ever lived. Uh, he actually got killed from behind with a scythe in a clan war. Uh, but he killed seven people before that, you know, in, in fair combat, squaring off. And then somebody got mm -hmm. him from behind. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of – see, it, there's uh, – for anybody that really knows Scotland, McCullum – the McCullum family has two names in Scotland, and it's the same family. Uh, it's McCullum and Malcolm, and it's the same family. Just one decided to, to shoot off and have a more Scottish-sounding name. So there's the McCullums and there's the Malcolms, and but they're, they're all the same family. I didn't know that. I want to talk a little bit about the Balgoni. Am I saying that correctly? Balgoni, yeah. Balgoni, okay. Um, you've been there. You say that this is one of your favorite places, correct? Oh, I've been there so many times. I love that place. And the thing that was the most amazing thing about it was the Laird of the castle. Amazing, amazing man. He was getting up in age, but he was as sharp as could be. And, I mean, you talk about a talented man. This was the guy. I mean, he he carved all the doors in the castle. He took all – he painted in the ceiling all 31 of the previous Laird's family crests. 
He uh, actually represented Scotland in the world leather making con uh, contest. I mean, he was just an amazing dude. And uh, he was the one that they said after he died that he'd actually been one of the uh, bigwigs in the Knights Templar that are still around. You know, the Knights Templar are not out of business, despite what people seem to think. So, um, yeah, I love Balgoni Castle. There's, there's so much happens there, but it was really the Laird. I mean, he was just such a good guy. Um, the first night I was there that I met him, he was telling me these stories, and I was fascinated. And the Scottish paranormal guys, come on, we got to go, son. We got to go, son. Okay, give me a minute, right? So finally he looks at me, and I had fallen in, in near uh, Roslyn Chapel and blew out my knee. So I was struggling to walk. And he looks at me, he goes, can you walk up three flights of stairs? I said, it's a handrail? And he goes, yeah. And I said, yeah, I can. He goes, come on, I'm going to take you up to my private residence. And we're going up, and Gregor whispers to me, he goes, he's never taken us up there, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So me, me and the Laird were buddies. But when we went back, uh, I was there with the Dark Zone people. They were taking, they were filming something, you know, at Balgoni which we had something really cool happen. I suggest if anybody wants to see it, you go to Dark Zone TV, uh, it's free. Just go on there and look for uh, Balgoni Castle. It's it's really something. But we at the end of the night, we went back into where the Laird's room was. Now the Laird was probably 92 at the time. And he was in a hospital bed downstairs and Gregor introduced him to the other people. And I'm standing there and I hadn't seen him in two years because of the COVID. And I thought, I wonder if he remembers me, right? And he reached up and he grabbed my hand and he pulled me down and he whispered something to me. And I went, ah, God, there's a lot of dust in here. I'm going outside. <laughs> so, yeah, I fell apart a little bit knowing my buddy. I went back the next week because we had a private ghost hunt there and got to hang out with him for about an hour. And when I walked out, me and Greg were there and I looked at him and I said, I'm never going to see him again, am I? And he goes, no. And he died shortly mm -hmm. after that. But um, he was such a cool dude. I mean, he was so glad I got him to have, have him be a friend. It's like it was meant to be that you were there to see him one last time. Well, you know, it's, what's funny, the very first time I met him, he says, can you keep a secret? And I said, yeah. So he told me this secret. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, it's true. I said, okay. So I, I never said anything about it because I promised not to say anything about it. And the last day I was there with him, he leans over and he goes, did you keep the secret? I said, yeah. And he goes, I only told you half. And then he told me the rest. And I was like, holy cow. And I didn't ever tell anybody until it came out of the newspaper, right, where they had talked about it. And that there are still Knight Templars alive in Scotland, in the United States, and he was actually, if not the grandmaster, one of them. And for just some reason, he took a liking to me. So I don't know. It was just, uh, it was really cool to have a friend like that. So Rick, the last time I talked to you over the summer, um, you said you were going back to that castle to try to connect with a spirit that you've met there previously. Um, yeah. Did you reconnect with that spirit? Was that at Belgoni? Yes. Yeah, we had... Uh, yeah, I have actually. There's there's one there. I'm trying to remember his name. Paul, I think it is. This guy was actually uh, deformed. And in the castle, down in the chapel, he throws the women out verbally. Get out. Right. And he, you know, he just horrible to women. And the thing that we were filming, there was a girl with a Cheryl. And I said, Cheryl, why don't you go in there by yourself and see what happens? And Jay and Kathleen were in there filming and uh, nothing was happening. I was listening at the door and finally I, I was looking through the door. I had my, uh, my FLIR, you know, uh, you know, looking in, nothing was happening. So I walked in and then my friend, Mikey Thompson, who's super with audio, he came in and Gregor, who's one of the founders of Scottish paranormal, we went in and sat down and we started asking questions and it instantly started answering. And, it, it, it ended up, and it was kind of what I had the feeling of it. I told him before we went in there, I said, this guy isn't a bad guy. He's probably just mad because women never paid attention to him because he was deformed, and he's mad about it. I said, he's probably just lonely. And uh, he really connected to Cheryl because Cheryl talked to him. And uh, I asked, I said, uh, 
what would you do if you could have be alone with Cheryl? Right? And it said something, and everybody went, whoa. And I said, what do you think it is? And they said something about having sex, but very bluntly. Right? And they said, yeah, that's what it was. I said, it's not what it says. And they said, what does it say? I said, listen to it again. And they listened to it again. They said, it says love her. I said, yep, it sure does. I said, he's... He's 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 enthralled. He's he's got a girlfriend now, and uh, when I went back, um, I had her say hello like five questions, and I played it back inside the uh, inside the chapel, and I got a couple of little responses, but nothing like we had gotten before. So he's still down there, and he's back to being kind of nasty to the women again. So, oh, it's because you're yeah. left, right? Yeah, I mean, he, but it was funny. It was actually, and that's what's actually the big thing on the Balgoni thing I told you on Dark Zone is that mm -hmm. whole session, and you can hear what he was saying and everything else. Um, yeah, it's sad. I thought he, he was, I even asked him, I said, look, you keep running all the all the women off. I said, and I know that you're you're lonely. Why don't you try being nice to them like like with Cheryl? I said, you know, maybe you'll have more interaction with people. And, and he goes, I will. You know, and I said, why don't I, I will. So, I mean, it was, it was really, really, really cool. I mean, there was, we really connected with him. I thought we had made it in roads, but it, he fell right back into being a nasty mm -hmm. person. Yeah. Well, see, that goes right back to um, being a counselor for spirits, like we were talking about earlier in this conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> They're, they were people. I mean, you know, and you have nice Do you know what time period this guy was in? What time what period time? did he live in? What time period? Was, was, he, he, was he? He was probably in the 1800s. That would be my guess because uh, Balgoni, I think, has been there for 400 years. And uh, But I think he was the 1800s. And, uh, yeah, he just... I thought we had him. I thought we pulled him through, and then he kind of just backslided a little bit. But I'll go back there again, and I'm going to try some more with him. You know, mm -hmm. we gotta gotta help that dude out. You know, kind of draw him out a little bit. When you go to a place like Belgoni, um, there's so many different levels of people that's lived through there. So many different centuries, probably different languages. How do you? How, does time exist in a place like that? Like, do spirits know that somebody from, let's say, 17th century lived there and they're there from the 18th century? Do they interact, you think? Uh, yeah, you, you, you do get interaction from them in some places. I don't know if they're really conscious of the time. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you were there for 400 years, you'd be getting awful freaking bored, you know? <laughs> so, right. Um, so I don't know if they really have a concept of time, but... Uh, they do know when they passed away because I was at another place and I asked the guy, I said, uh, were you here in the 1900s and nothing? I said, the 1800s and bam, all five lights went off. I said, so you were here in the 1800s, all five lights again. So they do know when they pass away, right? Um, unless they died really suddenly and some of them don't know they're, they're gone yet. They're mm -hmm. walking around looking for answers. And that's, that's the ones I, I try to help all of them to tell you the truth. You know, I don't try and get them to cross over. If they want to do that, they can. Right. Know? So it's interesting. So what about I know these castles just from my experiences with Romania, you you'll have like several different languages in one place. How do you get over those kind of challenges where the spirits might not even know the language? Well, you know what? I haven't had too much experience with that except for a temple. I I, I when I asked and this was actually a Knights Templar temple, right, right down the, right down the way from Roslyn Chapel, and I just asked. I said, uh, "We're any because you get a weird feeling that you were there before, right?" And I asked them. I said, "Were any of us here before?" There's three of us, and uh, it said in French, "It went eh, deux, trois, one, two, three. So in other words, all three of us have been there before. But when you get an answer in French. And a lot of the Knights Templar were French, you know, so that, that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Well, what do you I do with the challenges? I haven't had a Say lot of other languages spoken to me, though. 
in all the years I've been doing this. So you haven't you haven't had anyone speak to you in old English or any of that kind of stuff. Oh, you get that kind of stuff, yeah. But I mean, I haven't heard like Norwegian or German or you know stuff like that. And what really gets me is you watch these shows. They go over to Romania, and they're trying to talk to somebody from the 1500s, and they're speaking English to him. Why don't you have somebody that exactly, speaks Romanian? Yeah. You know, it's like if you came over it, here and started I'm, talking to me 15th century Romanian, I'd be going what? <laughs> Huh? Um, when I was in Romania, we did an investigation of Corvin Castle, but we had a translator there. And when we asked the questions in English, I kid you not, we got nothing. But then when, when we used a translator to translate in, um, I think it was Bulgarian, we got the most responses. And then we also got responses in German. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have one thing like that. Um, me and my group, R.A. And, and Kane and I, had been on uh, ghost adventures. And we had done this one place called Pico House. And Nick and I had been downstairs in the basement, and I had been getting responses like crazy to everything we asked. Well, about a year later, a group asked if we could come with them, and me and R.A. went down there. And I went down there, and I wasn't getting a blip of any answer at all. Nothing. And then it dawned on me that some of the people, because there was 19 people killed right outside the door in a riot. And a lot of them were actually Mexican nationals and a bunch of them were Chinese. And then there was a few uh, Anglos too. But I went like this. I looked around. I said, does anybody here speak Spanish? And this girl goes, I do. I said, after I ask a question, can you wait like 10 seconds and then ask it in Spanish? I would ask the question and I would get nothing on the K2. She would ask it in Spanish and boom, answer after answer after answer. So sometimes it helps to have somebody there that can speak the language that they speak. Mm -hmm. so, it's a, it's so. a, something to consider. That happens even in New Orleans where most people speak French or Cajun. You know, so. I don't, think are, Cajun, I don't think the Cajuns can even understand Cajun. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. Rick, we are at the bottom of the hour. What are some of the projects you are working on and where can people find your books? My, I have two books out, actually. There's a second one called The, the Spirits Are Out There and They're, they're uh, Waiting for You. You, CL. They're <laughs> waiting for you. Um, they're waiting for me. They're waiting for CL. I should have named it that. Um, but it's more about all the things that happened in Scotland, different castles, different places I've been. Uh, they're both on Amazon. And if you just go by my name or look, go, Ghost Believe in Me, the spirits are out there. You can find it. And uh, it's not expensive. It's $10. And the nice thing is the profits I get from it, I give to St. Jude Hospital. So you want to read a book that people say is good and do something nice for some sick little kids? I like that. I do. Yeah. So um, you are from Tennessee, right? Did you live in Tennessee? I did live in Tennessee for several years. Um, I grew up in Chicago, but I did live in Tennessee. I lived in Brentwood, Tennessee, which is right outside so Nashville. Yeah, uh, not far from Franklin. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, I love Tennessee. The people that were really nice, you know, it was very laid back, you know. Yes. I remember yeah. the fir first day I went to Kroger's. <laughs> and there, there was a Cadillac with the windows open, and they had a uh, CD player along with all these CDs sitting on the seat. And I went by and I went, oh, not in Chicago now, because <laughs> none of that would have been there, you know. So, yeah, I love Tennessee. Tennessee was very nice, but uh, if I had the money, I'd be living in Scotland, you know. So when's your next trip to Scotland? Uh, my next trip is uh, middle of June next year. Yeah, I've been there twice this year, and then I'm going next next year with uh, a few friends of mine, actually, that uh, there's going to be like four of us or six of us, and we're going to go to different castles and things like that, and uh, looking forward to it. Do you ever go with, um, like, tourism groups at all? I did. It. I, I led a tour. And it was a disaster. Uh -oh. um, yeah, it was a disaster. 
Um, most of the stuff that we've been promised as ghost hunting did not come through. And people were not happy, and I don't blame them. You know, so, um, I mean, like, four or five of the places that we had really been looking forward to going to, no no explanation, just, no, 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 not going there, not going there. And uh, it got pretty ugly for a little bit. So what do you recommend if somebody like me wants to just go to Scotland and do some ghost hunting on my own? What do you Talk suggest? Talk to Rick McCullum because he has contacts all over the place and he would hook up that nice CL girl. So oh, how's that? No, oh, I would. Well, Rick, it, it, I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make promises. I'm Rick. not going to keep. You know, I'm not going to. And I, I do know quite mm -hmm. a few people, I mean, that have places to go. I mean, and they, Scotland is, is really cool. I mean, you know what's funny about Scotland? I know you're getting ready to go, but if you're walking out at night and you see a graveyard and you want to go on it, walk into it. You see an empty castle, walk into it. There's no no guards. There's nobody to run you off. There's no papers to sign, no insurance document. You just go in, right? And if you fall down, you break your leg and try and sue them, you go there and the judge goes, so let me get this straight. You were in a place that you weren't invited. You went in and it's totally dark and you fell down and it's his fault? Dismissed. Right, they, they don't. <laughs> they don't go for all that, you know. It's and I do absolutely do the worst Scottish accent ever, so I never do it in Scotland because I figure they'll beat me up. <laughs> well, do you have a website or something? Where do people find you? Uh, on Facebook, I used to have websites, <laughs> but uh, my the person that was always putting the stuff up for he moved and he took all the codes and everything else, so I, I just let it go, you know. Um, but if you go to my name, Rick McCullum, if you go to Hollywood Ghost Hunters, there's a way to get there. Ghosts Believe in Me is on Facebook. You know, so any of the things that we talked about will get to me. And I answer everything. So if you got questions or anything, just just shoot. So Gotcha. Well, Rick, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Well, it's always a pleasure to be, be on with you. And although I am kind of jealous of all the cool places you got to go recently. Hey, you're always invited. I always tell you, come meet me. Well, yeah, I can go anywhere but Nevada. Oh, that's right. You won't come here. But, I mean, Joshua Trees is hot. Skip away from L.A. Well, I ghost hunted out there one night with uh, Andrea Perron and Tony Rathman and, you know, a bunch of pretty well-known people. Um, didn't get anything. It was very quiet. But uh, At the Joshua Tree Inn? No, we were actually at uh, a campsite kind of place. Hmm. Joshua Tree Inn, though, I would like to to go to. Yeah, it's pretty active. Well, Rick, thanks again for taking your time and being on live with me. I'm, I just always love talking to you. I could talk to you for the next six hours, but we just don't. And you know, that. I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep yakking away. Um, well, thanks for having me on anytime. Always glad to be here. Always good to see that. It's always good to see right, that little thank smile. You. <laughs> All right. I will talk to you again on another occasion. Thank you. You've been listening to The Gateway, your portal to the unexplained, the mystical, and the otherworldly broadcasted live from United Public Radio 107.7 FM, New Orleans. Until next time.